Today's sales leaders face a difficult task, selling the right products at the right time through the right channels. A new three-day program from Harvard Business School Executive Education addresses this problem directly. Join us on the Boston campus in August for Managing Sales Teams and Distribution Channels, where you will discover strategies that can lead to the best sales performance. Learn more by clicking the banner or visiting hbs.me sales. That's hbs.me sales. Hey guys, Alex here, ajnashville.com. This is Story of My Life, Episode 5. As many of you heard in the previous episode, at this point I had moved to Iowa. I was living with my grandmother. It was myself, my mom, my sister, my cousin, and my grandmother. We were all in a three-bedroom house. Uh, The downstairs was a partially finished basement, so we were able to utilize that space as well. We didn't have any belongings. Everything that we had had been stolen from us when we lived in California, so we didn't have anything that was taking up space or creating clutter or anything like that. Um, After the move, my mom got a job at a bar downtown in Fort Dodge, Iowa, where she worked evenings. My grandmother would watch us during the, uh, I guess, from 4 o'clock forward while my mom worked. My mom was a lifetime waitress, and so... It was very easy for her to get into that position, get that job, and go ahead and get things started there. It was something that she was a natural at. She was a people person, but also for the first time in my mother's life that I was aware of, she was clean and not using drugs. So obviously this was a relief in itself. Uh, Started at a new school. The new school I started at was a middle school. Um, Went there. I was the new guy. You know, people were talking about the kid from California. Uh, I wasn't very popular, but, you know, there was circulation of this new kid had just moved to town, and we lived on the south side, which the south side is not considered a wealthy part of town by any means. It's just considered a, you know, middle to lower class uh, area of town, which when you go there, it's not really a lower class area, but it's not by any means considered an area that, you know, people with money live in, because obviously at that point we didn't have any money anyways. So I would get a ride to school. Um, I was still in special ed classes because of the fact that I had troubles when I was in California with fighting and doing everything else, so I was still kept in a special ed class. I remember that part of that class, there was little detention rooms that they would put you in. If you acted out, you went to the detention room. It was a small, probably six-by-eight room that was used for, like, band practice, had little glass windows. Uh, And you would sit there and you would have to do some type of work, like writing an essay, writing sentences, stuff like that. I remember that my teacher, he wasn't a bad guy. It was just a guy I didn't like. And I guess I didn't like him because he was an authority figure. He was a person that you couldn't really get away with talking back to without some trouble. The one thing that I remember I liked quite a bit in school was shop classes, woodworking class, metal class, things like that. I, I really, really enjoyed And those were the times where I would actually uh, be semi-delightful to be around. Uh, Keep in mind, I had a lot of anger still going on in my head. A lot of things that instead of getting some help to deal with, I acted out upon. Uh, I remember my teacher at one point, he said, hey, you know, your, your eyes are like little shields. When you, somebody says something that upsets you, your eyelids lower down. And you can tell that you're getting into a mode where you're going to be destructive. And that's really what I did. 
So uh, one of the things that I used to do is I, w- I would go to detention quite a bit, get in there, yell, cuss at the teacher, uh, basically act out and do whatever I felt was right, even though it was inappropriate. One day, after living there for uh, several months, um, I remember I was hanging out with a group of kids that went to a different school. They were a little bit older. They weren't exactly a positive influence by any means, and I had went to the cycle store and bought a can of dog repellent. It was mace, but basically for dogs. And I remember riding past a group of kids, and they were kind of minding their own business, except for one of them yelled something out as I came past on my bicycle, and so I looped around and and asked him, hey, what the fuck do you say? And he yelled something again, and I remember pulling out the can of dog spray and spraying the group of kids. Uh, obviously, that wasn't something that was liked very much. The kids had called the police. I had talked to a buddy of mine later on that evening. He said, the police are at your house. They're looking for you. Uh, they know that you mace some kids. I then disposed of the bottle of mace. Later on in the evening, went home. Remember my mom saying your ass is in trouble when you get here. And knowing that I was in trouble, but still kind of ignoring it, uh, got home, you know, obviously got disciplined, got yelled at, went to school the next day, and that's when the police arrived. So I was in class. I remember it was early in the morning. Uh, I was in class sitting there, and a police officer came in, and, and they asked for me to go out in the hallway. I remember going out to the hallway and the police officer saying, so you mace your group of kids, how would you like me to mace you? And me saying, I don't give a fuck, do what you want. Uh, I was just a very rebellious kid, a person that really didn't take too kindly to authority. All my run-ins with authority was either my mom getting arrested, somebody getting in trouble. I never had a true positive experience with authority, and so I had a very negative attitude towards that. Um, I was then taken downstairs and taken to the juvenile court systems where I met my probation officer, soon-to-be probation officer. Went in there, discussed what had happened with him, uh, knew that I was in trouble, found out that I was being placed on probation for the charges of assault and disorderly conduct. Little did I know that on school grounds, you basically get double charged. So you're charged by the school and then charged civilly as well. So I racked up a good amount of charges my first time actually getting in trouble. Not a good thing to do by any means, knowing that I had to meet my probation officer on a weekly basis. Uh, I didn't have problems with drugs or anything like that, so I wasn't required to do uh, piss samples or whatever they're called nowadays. But I just was required to check in let him know how things were going, let him know how my grades were, let him know who I was hanging out with. I couldn't hang out with certain people. And at that point, I really didn't like that. You know, I was always in charge. It was my place, my house, me. And that's what I was used to over the years. So knowing that I had to talk to somebody on a weekly basis and say, hey, this is what I'm doing, here's where I'm going, blah, 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 um, I really wasn't okay with. But I, I see the point now as an adult. So weeks go on, I continued to get in trouble in school, I continued to get suspended. There was one time I threw a football at a teacher, which I was in trouble for, I got suspended from school. 
I then had to see my probation officer, uh, explain to him why I had done that and why I had cussed a teacher out. So my probation officer at this point had had enough of that. He didn't want to do it. He didn't want to mess with it anymore. He was ready to give me what they would consider a scared straight program. Except the scared straight program wasn't go in and you talk to criminals and you get locked up and this, that, and another. Scared straight program ended me up in Aldora, Iowa, which Aldora is where the detention center is and the men's state training school. So I get taken up there by what they called trackers. A tracker was a person that if you were on probation, they were kind of like a private eye. They would keep an eye on you. They would know what was going on. They would check to make sure you were home by curfew. They would check to make sure that uh, you weren't partying at the house, anything like that. Believe it or not, a a lot of parents let their kids kind of get away with what they wanted to. So the tracker kept them from doing that. So I was taken out, Dora. I was processed in and put into a cell that was, I would say it's six foot by 10 foot maybe, um, with a metal bed bolted to the middle. I had a blue rollout mattress with a standard issued um, gray blanket that really wasn't a whole blanket, sheets that really weren't great sheets. You know, it, it was jail stuff. No quality by any means. And it really didn't hit me until that door slammed shut. You know, a big two-inch, three-inch uh, steel door slamming shut, knowing there's no way out, that's when it hit me. Um, obviously, I was scared. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know when I was getting out. Nobody said, hey, we're just taking you up here to scare you, and we're going to let you out in a few hours, and then you're going to go home. So I was worried about that. I wanted to talk to my probation officer. I was in orange pants, orange flip-flops, and a white T-shirt, sitting in a cell by myself, basically going crazy. I had no idea what was going on or how long I was going to be there. So eventually the guards came back and asked me if I'd learned my lesson yet. Obviously my response to that was yes. I'm ready to go home. I learned my lesson. I'm sorry. I won't do it again. I'm going to be better. I'm going to improve. I'm going to do better. And so I talked to my probation officer on the phone at that time and confirmed the same things. You know, hey, this is your final chance. If you don't correct your behaviors, you're going to end up in a place just like this. So I did what most people who think they're going to change do. I got home and I was fine for a while. A couple weeks, didn't get in trouble, and all of a sudden things spiraled downhill one day in school. Got in trouble. Um, I had extreme anger problems, so a lot of my past still troubled me, and I took that out as anger and aggression towards other people. I, I enjoyed getting into altercations, yelling matches, screaming matches, fighting, stuff like that. So like I said, Eldora was a scared straight tactic. I wound up having to go back to the court where I was sent to the Boys and Girls Club in north, I guess it would be northwest Iowa, a place called Forest Ridge. This was a place where it was basically a male group home. You went up there, there was two different, or there was more than two, but two main cottages that were, one was boys, one was girls, and they were out in the middle of nowhere. And there, you would do chores, you would go to school with all the other students. Um, Everything was self-contained. You know, you went to school with other people that were in the 
Boys and Girls Club, you went back to the uh, cottages with other people that were in it. And we had confrontation systems where you would correct other people's behavior and it was ran by your peers that escalated up. Um, My first day in there, I sat down and I still remember this guy's name. I still remember exactly what he looks like and everything. I sat down and there was a tuna sandwich sitting on my plate. Well, I didn't like tuna and I wasn't going to take a word of advice from anybody. So I sat down. And I was asked, are you going to eat your food? And I said, no, I don't want it. And they said, no, you're going to eat your food. And I said, no, I'm not. Um, one thing led to another. And as we escalated through the systems that were put in place in that school to confront and correct behavior, I had escalated almost to the top portion of it where um, they had all the peers that were there surrounding me with all the attention on me, telling me that it was time to eat my sandwich. It was a scary thing, obviously. I'd never been in a situation like that before. I'd never been in a situation where I was confronted like that. I remember taking a bite or two of the sandwich, uh, almost vomiting each time, and being told that, hey, if if you vomit, you're in more trouble. Um, This was not the impression I wanted to give the first 20 minutes in this new school. Uh, I was then sent back to the dorms or the cottages with the rest of the people. I got along fine for the most part. It wasn't one of those things where I was constantly getting in trouble. My mom would come all the time and visit me. You know, it was a three-hour drive. At this point, my stepdad, who is my current stepdad, was introduced to my life. He was a great supporter of me doing the right thing. Uh, He wanted me to correct my behaviors and make sure that I was in a situation where I was operating on a normal, regular level with everybody else. So she'd come up and visit. We'd be able to hang out for about two hours, and then she would have to go. So she'd drive four hours there, hang out for two hours, drive four hours back. Looking back, that had to have been an enormous struggle for my mom. You know, that's a long ways for her to go, just to visit for two hours. But it made me realize... Now, how much support she actually put into my life. You know, all the mistakes that were made when I was younger were mistakes that I don't think my mom ever truly forgave herself for. And so this was a way for her to kind of come back and say, well, here, I'm here to support you. I'll support you through everything. Uh, Like I said, there was quite a, quite a while that I spent at this school, um, Managing up through the levels, doing everything I needed to do in order to be released. Eventually, I believe I was released for a while before getting into trouble. Yes, I was released for a while before getting into trouble and escalating into another program, which we won't touch on that program now. That's something we'll touch on on a future episode, uh, and we'll go through my experience there as well. The biggest thing that I started to see is because I ignored and tried to blow off the things that happened in the past, because keep in mind, I was mentally abused, physically abused, sexually abused, and all those things were still in a very young mind, in a very young head. And I chose to act upon those things in the most negative way possible. I didn't listen to anybody. I didn't follow the rules. I didn't do what I was told. 
And that was the decision I made, a conscious effort to continue on without following the rules. Now, whose fault is that? Obviously, it's my fault. You know, um, I could blame it on the different things that went on in my head, and I think some of it may have to do with that. But at the end of the day, I make decisions to do the things I want to do. And even though I had some hard times and some situations where I could put, I could place the blame and say, no, 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 I, I'm doing this because I was abused. You know, the, the abuse was already done. Did it change the structure of my mind and how I reacted to things? Absolutely. 110% without a doubt. No questions asked. When I chose to respond and react, I always responded and reacted from a point of anger. That was how, once again, I had learned how to deal with things by lashing out. Um, you know, and that continued on. It continued on all the way, heck, even to my adult life. You know, sitting there and, and making a decision to be aggressive as opposed to talking about whatever it was that bothered me. And as opposed to working through whatever it is that was bothering me. You know, it's very commonplace for me to just be aggressive towards people. Um, you know, I, I regret those things. But like I've said before, the things I've been through in life is the reason why I am where I am today. If I would have changed one of those things, I may not be where I am. And, and to be honest with you, I'm not in a bad place by any means. You know, my, my senior vice president and I were talking while I was in Houston this past weekend. And he asked me, hey, how much money did you make so far this year? And I told him. And it was a celebratory response. You know, the things I'm doing within my company, the things I'm doing in society to help, the ways that I've given back. Now, that all came with a price, and most of that price was spent as part of my freedom. See, I didn't get released from the training schools and everywhere else that I had wound up going to until I was uh, right about 17, until I was almost ready to go and, and graduate from high school and everything. You know, so I spent the majority of my childhood locked up in one manner or another, whether it was actually behind bars or behind emotional bars. I spent a portion of that doing things I shouldn't have done. And I had a choice. That's the biggest thing. It's not like I said, oh, my God, I went through this. I don't have a choice. I have to act this way. That's not the way things work in the real world. I had a choice to continue on the path I was on and act the way I was continuing to act, and that's what I chose to do. I chose that listening to people was not an option. Doing what I wanted to do was. And so that's what I continued on to do. And that's what eventually got me into the trouble that I got into. Now, the big thing is my aggression towards other people continued for a good part of my life, all the way up into my mid-20s, if not into my early 30s, because I still never figured out how I was going to sit down and cope with things. You know, instead of coping with things like a normal person would... I would cope with them as an adult, maybe by drinking, maybe by going out, maybe by partying, celebrating nothing, just going out to party, you know, um, making the decision that the way I dealt with things was the best way possible. And those are things that carried on throughout my years that I look back and say, well, if I'd have done this different, it would have been this way. 
But hindsight is twenty twenty. You know, you can always look back and say, wow, if I'd have done this, I could have been here. The fact of the matter is it took me a long time to mature and to forgive people and to move on and to do the things I needed to do to become a successful and responsible adult. And even right now, I still trip into those things. You know, I'm not the best boyfriend. I'm not the best father. I'm not the best anything, but I try and do what I can in order to make things work and do what I can to continue to move forward with things in my life. So I made the mistake of getting involved into the court system, getting in trouble, assault charges, you know, a lot of things that wound up building upon things, getting into trouble and then continuing to stay in trouble while locked up and then eventually escalating into a place that most people don't want to be. And I'll cover that in depth in my next episode. This is just kind of the beginning of things where I start making an impact and making negative decisions. This goes on for a couple years, and then eventually I make the right decision. We'll go ahead and cut this one short tonight. I've had a long week, even though it's just started. Next week we'll touch on me going into the state training school, being locked up, uh, being in a place that was highly, highly racist, and motivated and driven by race, being in a place where even though we weren't surrounded by barbed wire, you were always kept an eye on and you were surrounded by other people that had done things far worse than you had done in those situations. So thank you so much for tuning in, everybody. We'll talk to you on my next episode on Friday and then my next story of my life the following Monday at 6.30. Thanks for tuning in. We'll talk to you later. Tune in. We'll talk to you later. Advancements in technology, shifting markets, and the gig economy are changing the nature of work. With this in mind, Harvard Business School Executive Education is launching a new program on managing the future of work. Based on the latest research into the forces reshaping workforce demographics, this program is designed to help employers remain competitive by thinking strategically about today's evolving business landscape. Learn more by clicking the banner or visiting hbs.me future. That's hbs.me future.